Good evening. The topic this evening, as we approach Hanukkah, is becoming a warrior. This class will be dedicated in honor of my mother Shloshim, Batya Bas Nachom, her Neshama should have an Aliyah. Amen. We had a Sunday morning share not that long ago, quoting this Rambam, where he gives us an insight into the mindset of a warrior. I'll share with you a few lines. He's obviously talking about a soldier entering battle, but we'll see this applies to many areas of life. Anyone who's afraid, meaning that he doesn't have the courage to stand in the midst of the, the battle. Anyone who's afraid shouldn't be there. Once you've stepped up to the challenge, and now you're standing there with your fellow soldiers, you should rely on the mikveh Yisrael and Hashem, during a time of distress. And you have in mind consciously, I'm engaging in war for the Yichud Hashem, to bring more of a clarity regarding the truth of the Kaddish Baruch Hu into the world. You take your soul in the palm of your hand. I don't have fear. I don't experience trepidation. Nor do I allow myself to think. Not regarding one's wife or his children that are behind, waiting with anticipation, wondering if, God willing, they will reunite with their husband, with their father. That can't be in my mind. The goal of a soldier is to erase all of that. And get away all of the distractions and focus like a laser beam on the Melchama, the task at hand. Anyone who begins to think about his family and friends back at home, who allows his mind to wander, and therefore the fear begins to creep in. He's in violation of the Isser. Al Yerech Levavchem. But the Torah says, do not be afraid. Because it's not only yourself that you're impacting, but it's your brothers, it's your soldiers. And if they fall because of the fear that you're expressing, you are responsible for their bloodshed, writes the Rambam. However, he concludes with a very positive note. He says that the soldier is able to focus solely on the task at hand, without that fear, without the anxiety, and have his intention solely, l'shem shemayim, I'm doing this because I know this is the will of God, defending my citizens and hopefully bringing more of a clarity of Hashem's existence into the world, so then there's an incredible haftacha. There's a promise that Hashem gives to Klal Yisrael, you will not fail. You will be successful. Going into Melchama with that strength of mind and heart, 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I give you a Havtacha, you will be victorious. Now how does that work? Why is it that when a person has that, that strength and that clarity to be able to be fully focused on the, the task at hand, to be focused on the war that he finds himself in, how do we know, therefore, we have a promise from Hashem that we will be victorious? What's the correlation between having bitachon, having a strong sense of faith, and having a confidence that we're going to actually walk out of this with victory? The basic idea is that we find this correlation between Mesiris Nefesh and Nisim between self-sacrifice and rising above that which is natural. How can we potentially experience a miracle? The answer is actually very straightforward. When we push beyond our own natural limitations, then there's a Mida Keneged Mida impact where Kaddish Baruch Hu allows us to actually go beyond the natural limitations around us and within us. We find this in a conversation that takes place in the Gemara where Rav Papa poses the question to Abaye. He says, What was different about the previous generations, meaning the earlier generations of Amorayim? They experienced miracles. However, Anan Delo Mizrachish Nisa, but we were great Torah scholars and we have hundreds of disciples and we're, we're sharing the Mesorah, but we don't have that same supernatural type of interaction. And don't tell me, says Rapapa, that they had a greater level of Torah learning or scholarship back then, because that happens not to be true. And he brings different indications that in their particular time and generation, there was this vast mastery of Torah that did not exist a generation or two prior. So why was it they lived with miracles and we don't? Amrle, Abaye says back to Rapapa, one simple reason. The earlier generations, they were able to give their soul for the sanctity of Hashem, to be Moser Nefesh, we might be brilliant, we might be accomplished, we might be very from, and all of the stringencies we go by. But it's not the same self-sacrifice, it's not the same mesiris nefesh where I'm pouring out the very essence of my being for my commitment to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And because we don't have the mesiris nefesh, we don't experience the miracles. When we have Mesiris Nefesh at that point, that's when we experience miracles. During the times of Hanukkah, many of us are familiar with the famous words of the Bach. The Bach writes that there is a general weakening of the commitment, of the clarity of Kalal Yisrael. And therefore, when they decided to engage in war, it wasn't just a practical, strategic decision, we need to go kill them and beat the Greek army in order to get back to Beis Migdash and restore our whole sense of Ruchnius. They had a deeper understanding 
that by engaging in warfare, that was actually their tshuva. The tshuva they needed to return to Hashem was Mesiras Nefesh. Because the issue up until that point was there was assimilation, there was influence, they were very, very Greek culturally and externally. They were lacking that fire of Yadus. They were lacking that inner connection, that Mesiris Nefesh. Therefore, they chose to fight. Not just because they had to beat off the Greek army, but the fighting itself was their tshuva process. Now, in the times of the Hashmanayim, was it true that you had the entirety of the Jewish people come together, being led by the great Matis Yohu and his sons, joining the fight against the massive Greek empire? No, of course not. We know that was not the case. The majority of Jews did not join the Hashmanayim. The majority of Jews did not feel the impetus, the motivation, the desire, and they didn't have the courage to risk their lives because their lives weren't in danger. We know the main threat was their spiritual existence, not their physical existence. So it was only a handful of people that made that decision to be Moser Nefesh, to sacrifice their lives. And it was because that handful of people, they were able to save the entirety of Kal Yisrael. And that's very significant. Because what that means practically is that we don't have to wait for the entire Jewish people to come together in this massive revolution of tshuva. And only at that point, maybe there's a hope for the, the Mashiach, for the Geula. But until we get everyone on that same page, we're, we're just lost. We see, historically speaking, you don't need a majority. Sometimes it could be just a small group of people coming together with real Mesiris Nefesh and commitment to Klal Yisrael and to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and to maintain and uplift the Torah, that itself can bring the Geula. There's an amazing passage in the Zohar. This Zohar is quoted by the Chafetz Chaim in his Sefer Shmir Salashin. But he speaks about one of the ways that we can potentially bring Mashiach. Zohar says, Debei K'nish if you have one little shul somewhere in middle America, it doesn't make a difference. If in this one little dinky out-of-town shul, they guard the quality of shalom as it should be kept, as it should be revered. That one little place in the middle of nowhere can bring the geula. Im Cain says the Zohar, that means, Bias Mashiach Teluya Beyadeinu. The bringing of Mashiach is within our control. Teluya Beyadeinu. We can choose to bring the Gula. We don't need all of Kalal Yisrael to do tshuva. That would be amazing. And that's our responsibility to impact as many Jews as we can. But we don't need that for the Gula. Even one little shul in the middle of nowhere. In this particular Zohar, it's focusing on the Midah of Shalom. But that one quality, that one Midah, that itself could bring Mashiach. Rav Avram Grzynski was the Mashkiach in the Slobotka Yeshiva. He was in the Kovna Ghetto until he was murdered, Al Pi Kiddush Hashem. And throughout the years, 
leading up to World War II and even during World War II, he would give vadim. He would give small groups of Musr and Hashkafa, sharing insights into the human being, into our connection with Hashem and our connection with the Torah. And he would often quote the story of Hanukkah as a source of inspiration that he would share with his disciples. He would tell them that you look closely into the story, like we quoted from the Bach, the tshuva of Kalal Yisrael was through a handful of people. They were Moser Nefesh. They engaged in war. They wanted to be Mekadeh Shem Shemayim, very much like the mindset that was described for us by the Rambam. Was it a safe move to fight the Greek army? When Yehuda Maccabee was away from his family, were they nervous as to whether or not Tati would come home? Of course they were. But the only way they were Zoha to see Nisim Guluyim, to live through open miracles and regain the sanctity and the Kedusha of the Beis Migdash, is because they were Moser Nefesh, just a handful of people. Said Rav Avram Grzinski, this is how a Kaddish Baruch Hu works all throughout history. In the conversation, in the negotiation between Avram and Hashem, when Avram Avinu was trying to save the cities of stone, what was it all about? It was all focused on, can we find ten tzaddikim? Ten tzaddikim. They could have saved the entire city. It was only when they got to that point in the conversation where unfortunately you couldn't even find ten righteous people, then Avram Avinu understood he had no choice. He can't save stone. But said Rav Ram Grzinski, if we could even get ten tzaddikim here in the Kovna ghetto, this could be the schus we need. Our Mesiris Nefesh can bring those Nisim. And he said, and this is something I heard many years ago, one of the Talmidim of Bavram Grzinski shared that, that he would often speak about this idea of the ten tzaddikim in the Kovna ghetto. One of the Talmidim, his name was Rav Zuckerman. And he never mentioned that he himself was chosen by the Mashkiach to be one of those ten tzaddikim. But there were ten Talmidim towards the end of the, the time of the Kovna Ghetto. They were chosen, handpicked by the Mashkiach, and they would meet weekly to fulfill this criteria of having ten tzaddikim. Unfortunately, a Kaddish Baruch Hu had other plans. But in the end of this piece, where the Mashkiach speaks about this idea, he says, if you look at the Hanukkah story, the tzaddikim, they were likely very righteous, the Hashmanayim, before they engaged in war, but nonetheless, they weren't righteous enough to stop this gezerah from coming. The decree came because there was a weakening of our overall resolve. So what changed after they decided to wage war? Listen to the holy words of Avraham Gazinsky. He says, Masha Yoser Nachon, what appears to me, that they became tzaddikim through the milchama. It wasn't prior to the war. 
It was through the war, as they were going through, mamish the fear and the pachad and working through all of that inner turmoil and leaving their families and trying to support each other. It was within that, that existence they developed this higher level of righteousness. Shenasu tzadikim milchama. And that's what eventually turned around the, uh, the entire story of Hanukkah. What's so difficult is that we've been here now for many weeks. We've all been engaged as a nation in this ongoing war. When you speak to people, when you have family and friends in Eretz Yisrael who are literally living through it, and you have wives who are waiting for their husbands to return, and you have kids who are worried about their fathers, and you have uncles thinking about their nephews, it definitely makes it more real. But as a nation, we've been in war now for a long time. And when you're not literally on the battlefield, what happens is it's hard to hold on to that, that inspiration. As soon as this happened, the only thing that was going through my mind was if the Jewish people and Eretz Yisrael will never be the same again, then we as individuals and as a nation can never be the same again. But then you fast forward one week, three weeks, six weeks. How do you maintain that inspiration? Remember a story, this goes back probably about eight years ago. We had one of the members of the community, his brother-in-law was serving in the IDF at the time. And he was here visiting for a few days. So I asked him if he'd be willing to share some of his daily experience during Shalashudas. And he agreed. And at the time he was probably 20, a lone soldier. And he was telling us how they would wake up at five in the morning and the whole schedule of going into these Arab villages, tracking down terrorists, trying to arrest them, being shot at, basically risking his life every day to keep other people safe. And I was so taken by the fact that here you have a young man, he wasn't super religious, but he's waking up at five in the morning every day and risking his life to keep his brothers and sisters safe. So I thought, I could probably do a little more than I'm doing also. I could be inspired by him. So that night, it was Moti Shabbos, I remember vividly, I set my alarm to go off like 20 minutes earlier than usual to wake up and do some extra learning. Right? Generally, I wake about 3.30 in the morning, learn for about eight hours before Shacharis. So I want to do a little bit earlier. <clears throat> it's funny, I read a story one time about Rebel Yoshev that he would wake up about 2.30 in the morning after a couple hours of sleep and he would have his whole Seder of learning and his wife would always be up with him and make him a cup of tea. So after reading that, also what happened was is that Rabbi Yoshev's daughter, Rebetzin Kanievsky, she spoke to her mother and said, instead of getting up at 2.30 in the morning with Tati, why don't you make him tea in the thermos from beforehand? It's only a couple hours. It'll stay nice and hot. And then you don't have to wake up early. And her response was, but I want to be there with Tati when he wakes up. I want to participate in his learning. So I asked my wife the question, 
if I woke up at 2.30 in the morning, would you make me a cup of tea also? She said, if you wake up at 2.30 in the morning, I'll make you tea. <laughs> so I set my alarm for 20 minutes earlier than usual, and it goes off, and surprisingly, I was exhausted, so I just put it on snooze. Right? And then, as I'm trying to fall back to sleep, I hear this weird sound coming from the living room. And I ignore it at first, but it just keeps on going. So I pull myself out of bed, and I'm walking towards where this sound is coming from, and I hear the following words. And I'm not exaggerating at all. It's learning time. It's learning time. It's learning time, over and over again. And I literally thought it was a bus call coming from heaven. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's a message from God that yes, I should be getting up early like I said I would. What was it? It was a plastic pink pig that we had since my oldest was a little girl. You put the coins in there, and there are a couple different settings. And one of the settings is that it's learning time where it says something about the ABCs. Somehow, miraculously, it happened to go off. That was the only time it ever happened. Right when I set my alarm to wake me up, and it just kept on over and over repeating. So eventually I took it, I smashed it, and I went back to sleep. <laughs> no, I actually got up and I learned. However, uh, unfortunately, and I feel bad sharing this publicly, but how long did that last for? About a day or two. That's it, because inspiration is so hard to hold on to. And then we have this emotional fatigue that sets in. So I want to share with you two practical ideas as we're still very much engaged in this milchama. How can we actually take some of this hisoru, some of this this fire that we felt more a few weeks ago and uh, channel it in a way that we could hold on to it for the future. Here are two brief ideas. The first is the realization that it's not about Klal Yisrael, it's not only the Jewish people, and it's not even the requirement of having a group of people coming together which could make all the difference, but it's appreciating even I as an individual, theoretically, can make the difference myself. My own Mesiras Nefesh can have an impact on Kalal Yisrael that I can't even myself imagine. I don't feel that way, and I'd be more than willing to go back to sleep and not push myself because who am I, what kind of difference can and will I make? But that's where the mistake lies. The uh, Rabbi Cheskel Levinstein, who was the Mashkiach of Demir Yeshiva, he gave Musar Vadim inspirational talks when the Yeshiva was in Shanghai during the war. And you could imagine these young men in the middle of, of nowhere, not speaking the language, knowing what was going on, at least to some degree back in Europe, many of them being disconnected from their families, understanding that likely they would never be reunited. And you have these young men who are here in yeshiva, and they're trying to be yonik, they're trying to, to take in inspiration from Rabbi Cheskel Levenstein. And during Hanukkah, don't know exactly what year it is, 
maybe 42, whatever, around there. He said, if you look closely at what took place when these few people decided to risk their lives to fight on behalf of Klal Yisrael, it wasn't a movement and it wasn't even a group of people. It was one individual named Matis Yahu. It was one man standing alone that through this inner fire was able to ignite his children and then those who would join together with the Hashmanayim. He created this revolution. Rabbi Yechaskel said that it was the power of one individual. And therefore, his encouragement to these young men in the middle of Shanghai is never to underestimate what you're doing right now. The fact that you're sitting and you're learning and you're being Moser Nefesh in the way that you can, that will have an impact on our brothers and sisters who are presently in Europe. There's a, a letter we quoted actually not that long ago from Rav Shach that was written in 1948. And Rav Shach was writing to a young man learning in yeshiva during the War of Independence. And he shared this exact message. He said, you have to keep in mind your responsibility during this time of war. And you need to continue and strengthen your learning and your commitment to learning. And the analogy that Rav Shach writes in the letter is, if you're Miss Rachel, if you don't give it your all, it's like a general of the army who's in charge of many soldiers not being focused, not following the advice of the Rambam. What will happen? People will die because of your negligence. And therefore concludes Rav Shach, your responsibility right now, even though you're not directly fighting in the war of independence, you need to keep on being Moser Nefesh in your learning of Torah. My mother's name was Batya, and Batya, we know, was the daughter of Paro. And one of the well-known stories that we have regarding Basya was when she sees little Moshe floating in the Nile, and she reaches out her hand to grab him and bring him in. And the Midrashim explained that really, Moshe was, was way too far to reach, but there is some kind of miracle that took place where her aunt was able to extend and bring that basket in with the little baby. So many of the great Bali Musar explain, or they're bothered by the issue, why would she even think of reaching out her hand in the first place? If the child's 20 feet away in the middle of the river and she knows full well that she can't actually grab the basket and she has no clue that anything supernatural is about to take place, what was she thinking when she actually reached out? But explains Rechaim Shmulevitz and many others, this is a dogma. This is really the example of what we need to do in every aspect of life and every area of the Muhammad that we're involved in. If I know something has to happen, I know there's a child there that needs to be saved, even if I have no way of understanding how or why I could be helpful in this process, I can't stand there by the river and do nothing. That's unacceptable. But it's too far for me to, to reach. Okay. But reach out your hand. Show HaKadosh Baruch Hu that you're trying to do something meaningful. 
And maybe you won't grab the basket, but at least you can live with yourself. At least you know that you were Moser Nefesh. And when you're Moser Nefesh, that's when miracles happen. One thing that many of the, the people in the community remember about my mother is that she would schlep out here all the time. And even in her later years, really struggling with Parkinson's, the idea of her moving from her bed five feet away was an incredible effort. But when there is the conversation about coming to Boca and visiting the family and getting nachas from the community, there is no question. Of course I'm going to be there. I'll be there for Hanukkah. I'll be there for the graduation. I'll be there for the bas mitzvah. No one else is coming to the bas mitzvah because it's COVID. And my mother's perspective was, I don't care about any pandemic. I don't care about Parkinson's. My granddaughter is getting bas mitzvah. I'm going to be there, period. How is it possible? I don't know. But when there's a will, there's a way. When there's Mesiris Nefesh involved, that's when a Kaddish Baruch Hu allows us to go beyond that which seems to be natural, to expand beyond those limitations. So one idea is that we have to appreciate that even our own forms of Mesiris Nefesh, without it being glorified and heroic, without anybody knowing what we're doing and what we're struggling with, our self-sacrifice and our Vodas Hashem can make the difference. We just have to reach out our hands. We have to try to grab onto something meaningful. I think the second thing is we have to choose something that we could actually put into place. And if we create a structure, a system that we decide this is what we're doing because I want to do my part. I want to serve my role in this milchama and I could somehow embed this into my life and into my schedule, then even when I'm not inspired, but it's something I do now because I have to. If you were to ask friends and neighbors, what do you do differently now, after October 7th, that you didn't do before October 7th? Some of the answers would be concrete and clear and straightforward. I started doing Shnai Mikra. It was right at the time of starting Bereshis. I've always had trouble doing Shnai Mikra, reading from the Parsha. I've taken that on. But many, because life is difficult to have anything concrete and consistent, many will respond, I try to dive in more, I try to feel the pain of others, but very elusive, very fluffy, and likely will not stay with you a month or two or four from now. So one idea is appreciating that I as an individual can make a massive difference even in the entirety of Kalal Yisrael. And the second idea is trying to think of something that I could actually plug into my schedule to be machayiv, to create this sense of responsibility and obligation. Daf Yomi is an interesting example. Daf Yomi is not for everybody. For those who have been learning Daf Yomi though for a long time, I just heard Avi Friedman speak about his journey through Daf Yomi the last four years. It could keep you connected to Torah in a way that few other things can. I remember during COVID, I was speaking with Dr. Eitan Marcus. He works in Delray Medical Center and he was really one of my go-to uh, physicians just to ask what was going on, what his advice was, what he's seeing firsthand. 
And I remember speaking to him one time, and he sounded absolutely exhausted. I said, how long have you been at the hospital for? He said, Rabbi, I'll tell you the truth. I'm finishing up a 72-hour shift. I said, 72 hours? Are you out of your mind? He's like, listen, things are so crazy right now. They needed me, and this is where I had to be. So first of all, I said, I'm going to get off the phone and let you go home and go to sleep. Thank you for your incredible service to the community. But just do me a favor, go home and go to sleep. And his response was, I'm going home, but before I go to sleep, I have to learn the daf, because I haven't learned the daf yet today. Is the daf for everybody? No. You have to be, you have to have a background in learning, you have to appreciate it. But creating something within your schedule where now this is something I have to do and fast forward six months from now, God willing, the world will be in a much better place and Klal Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael will be much safer and more stable and I'm not going to have the same fire inspiration that I did in the past, but it makes no difference. I don't need inspiration. This is part of my schedule. This is what I do. I now learn Shnai Mikra every week, no matter what. I now prepare a Shabbos story for the Shabbos table. It's a good example. People always struggle. How do I make my Shabbos table more meaningful? And it's a very difficult thing to do depending on the age and the range of the children. But there's one, one sure way to fail, and that is don't prepare anything and don't give it any thought. Then likely it will not be that meaningful or uplifting. So that's one angle, you have to be creative. I am now going to prepare, however much time it takes me, a Shabbos story that I could share, something that's age appropriate that my kids might appreciate. As we enter the Hanukkah, we appreciate very much. This is the Yontif of Mesiras Nefesh. This is the time we celebrate self-sacrifice. We appreciate this correlation between Mesiras Nefesh and experiencing Nisim. And we believe fully, just like B'yameim Haheim, in those days, in those times, going back 2,400 years ago, through the Mesiris Nefesh of only a handful of individuals, they were able to shift the entire history and destiny of Klal Yisrael. We, even if it's not all of Klal Yisrael, even a small group of people, even one individual like Matis Yohu, we could also change the destiny and the direction of Kalal Yisrael, we should be zochah through our Messiris Nefesh to see those open miracles as well. Thank you.